walking through, we saw not just one age group, but multiple generations involved in serving our community. Let's praise God for all of that great work that was done. That was awesome. Awesome. Before we begin this morning, uh, there's a couple of prayer concerns I'd just like to share with you. I think we need to be in prayer about today. Uh, Number one, uh, 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 Linda... uh, Climber. This is Andrea's mother. Uh, she is on hospice now, and, and Andrea was going to be leaving tomorrow morning to fly out. And uh, Linda's in her last days of life, but uh, found out this morning that both Linda and her dad, Danny, have COVID. And so she's not going to be able to travel immediately, and that'll be put off for a few days. But continue to pray for the Climber family as, uh, as, as Andrea's mom transitions from this life into her eternal life. Also, uh, uh, Geneva Adcock passed away on, on Saturday, and we need to remember that family as they go through the time of preparation and mourning uh, for the loss of mom and grandma. And also, Anthony Macon, a lot of you may know Anthony, he works at, at GU, but it was his mother and niece that were killed in the car accident on Friday here on Highway 4 and 140 when a truck came through the stop sign, I think, and, and hit that car and took those uh, took those lives. So be in prayer for these families as they, as they struggle, as they deal with the hurt and the loss, uh, but also that they can find hope and peace in Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we lift up these families knowing uh, that they are hurting for various reasons and in different ways, but Father, all of them are experiencing uh, that, that time of uh, uh, question and uh, uh, Father, hurt plans. All these things, Father, are, are foremost in their minds right now. I, I pray that you provide for them a sense of peace that they can find only in you, a peace that indeed surpasses all understanding and guards their hearts and minds in Christ. And Father, that you'll be the author of that peace, and they'll know that. They'll know how precious they are to you. We thank you for what you're doing in each one of these events so that your glory would be known, Father, that your love would be seen, and that you would receive the honor in that. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Growing Young, Passing the Faith Along, that's kind of our our title for the message this morning as well as what we're trying to get across. I I ran across an article here not too long ago and I'd like to share it with you. It reads, Trevor Michelson, who's 48, and his wife Carrie, who's 45, were reeling after discovering that after 12 years of taking their daughter Janie to church every Sunday in which she didn't have a more pressing sporting commitment, which meant attending worship once every three months, She no longer demonstrates the strong quarterly commitment to the faith they raised her with now that she's college-aged. Trevor Michelson was simply stunned at the revelation. He said, I just don't understand it. Almost every single time there was a rained-out game or a break between school and club team sessions, we had Jamie in church at least once per quarter. And aside from one tournament in 2019, we never missed an Easter. It was a priority in our life. I, I, I just don't get, I don't get where her spiritual apathy is coming from. Her, Janie's mother added, I can't tell you how often we prayed the prayer of Jabez on our way to a game. You know, more I think about it, the more I think about it, the more this illustrates how church just keeps failing this generation, Trevor said, citing a recently Googled Barna or some other uh, kind of <laughs> review. The Michelsons expressed plans to have a chat with the pastor of their church after the younger son Robert's soccer season calmed down a bit. Now, I got this out of a a thing called Babylon Bee. How many of you ever seen the Babylon Bee? It's a satirical newsletter that comes out every day, and they they kind of poke fun at all kinds of things. But you and I both know that satire has as its basis truth. 
It's always exaggerated truth somewhere. So maybe instead of just kind of smiling and brushing this off, maybe we need to take an article like this a little bit more seriously. Now, my purpose today is not to slam parents and to guilt you into feeling bad because you're not, you're not in church every weekend and every Wednesday night and all the time doing everything you need to do to raise your kids up in the, in the church. I'm, I don't want to do that. As a matter of fact, my heart goes out to parents today. Being a parent in 2022 is a tough job. You face things that I never faced as a parent in the 80s and the 90s, and, and the challenges that are there sometimes can be absolutely overwhelming. And I want you to know we are, we are praying for you as parents but the emphasis this month is on growing young. Growing young. We, we've experienced the blessing and the joy of, of, of growing out by loving and serving our community. We were there to help people, and I hope they saw the love of Christ in that. We have discovered, we understand the importance of growing deeper by practicing daily spiritual disciplines, by being in the Word and by coming to worship and connecting with one another, by spending time in prayer. Those things are so important. But why should we be concerned about growing young? I mean, does anybody really care about the aspect or the prospect of growing young in the church, having more kids in? I mean, after a while, we've got this nice building, and it's, it's air-conditioned in the summertime and heat in the wintertime, and, 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 and we sing the songs I like to sing, and everything is fine. Why should we worry about kids being a part of what's going on? I mean, they just make noise. <laughs> they run up and down the halls. Why should we care? One reason we should care is because church attendance is declining. Across the board, through churches, especially mainline denominations in the U.S., church attendance is declining. We are, we are struggling to come back from pre-COVID numbers and making advances, not as quick as we would like, but, but we're pushing that direction. A group of women were talking about how their churches were dwindling in size, and one lady said, man, it's so bad at our church that some Sundays there's only 80 or 90 there. And another lady said, that's not so bad. At our church, sometimes there's only 9 or 10 there. And one lady who was in her 70s says, that's not so bad. It's so bad at our church that every time the preacher says, dear beloved, it makes me blush. You may have to think that through. Now, adults who identify themselves as Christians fell from 78% to 71% between the years of 2007-2014. Today, those numbers are even worse. Those who identify as unaffiliated, they are atheist or agnostic, or they simply don't care, uh, they're, they're not involved in any group, that jumped from 16% to 23%. It has been reported that no major Christian traditions today are growing in the U.S. Again, I take a little bit of exception with that, but overall, in generally speaking, mainline Protestant denominations are not growing. They're not. That's one reason we should be concerned. Another reason is because congregations are aging. I sat across from Declan uh, Graber uh, at VBS one day this past summer. We were in the FLC, and we were sitting at one of the white round tables, and we were talking about sporting events and, and things we did and things I did when I was younger. And Declan looked at me, and he said, Dee, what were you like in your prime? <laughs> I said, buddy, I'm in my prime. Kids were getting older. A 2015 census said that adults who are 18 to 29 compromise or com <laughs> comprise 22% of the population. Yet that very age, that very same age group represents less than 10% of church attendance. 40 to 50% of our kids that graduate high school will go to universities, and a full 50% uh, of those that graduate and go to school will walk away from their faith, either for a time or forever. 25% may come back. 
but we may lose 25% of our kids who graduate um, to secular humanism. We're getting older. Another reason we should be concerned is because our culture is advancing. Last Sunday in our Sunday school class, we were watching a short video of a, of a man in a ministry called The Living Waters, and he kind of goes out and does on-the-street interviews, and he was talking with a young man by the name of Mario, and Mario was able to express to him after several minutes what his theological picture, what his worldview was, and he made statements like this. He, he was saying that... Um, uh, he equates spirituality with self-improvement. So for him, being spiritual is self-improving. He said all, re- all religions have a universal meaning. He said you, you have to go within to unlock the secrets of the universe. And he said my reason for being here, the thing that I need to do is to make sure that I love somebody else and that's all I have to do. That was his idea. That was his picture of, of faith, theology, theology uh, Christianity, whatever that looked like to him, is make sure that we love somebody. And that's a popular, that's a popular view today. Even Even in the church, we find people saying, theology is not important. The Bible is not really relevant anymore. All we have to do is love one another because Christ loves us. Jesus loves everyone. That's all that really matters. Fortunately, the man that did the interview was able to bring this young man to an understanding of the need for Christ. Last Sunday, Tyson shared that 2% of young people ages 18 to 29, only 2% have a biblical worldview. Only 2% of young people, 18 to 29, have a biblical worldview. In a book called uh, uh, Faithfully Different by Natasha Crane, we're reading this in a, as our staff here at the church, she writes, if you have a biblical worldview, you're now in a worldview minority. The dominant worldview of the culture around us, a strident secularism, is fundamentally at odds with the biblical worldview. Being a parent in 2022 isn't for the faint of heart or weak, is it? I don't care how tough you are. You may be a Navy SEAL that specializes in jumping out of airplanes. You may be a a, a person that spends your day making million-dollar split-second decisions on the stock market. It doesn't make any difference. Every parent melts the moment he or she feels the full force of parenthood. We are in charge of a human being, and that's a scary thought. Max Lucado in a book called Fearless writes, the semi-truck of parenting is loaded with fears. We fear failing the child, forgetting the child. Will we have enough money, enough answers, enough diapers, enough drawer space? Vaccinations, education, homework, homecoming, it's enough to keep a parent awake at night. And even though we learn to cope, an apiary of danger buzzes in the background. I've spoken to a lot of parents about their kids. And there's been all kinds of questions and comments. One said, why has my son chosen this particular path? Another one said, I can't seem to get through to my daughter. One asked the question, why don't they understand the value of faith, the blessings of good morals, the fact that I love them? How come they can't accept that? Another one said, I want my child to excel in school, but school seems to be so hard to them. It's such a challenge. Another one said, my wife and I don't see eye to eye on the way that we should raise her child, the priorities in her home, and it's hard for us. There's tension there. How does a child get through to this? Man, You want to do something. You want to make life different. You want it to be better. You want them to know Jesus like you know Jesus. You want their faith to be real and to be personal and to be meaningful. So what do you do? We are blessed at Greenville First Christian Church to have the Andrus family with us. 
uh, Andrea Andrus leads our family life ministry. She's going to come this morning and share ways that parents, grandparents, guardians can have an impact on the lives of your children with a faith that stands up to the culture. Andrea, would you come and, and join me, please? I've got the taller stool this time. Andrea, based on, did my battery die? Uh, based on the, uh, the stats that I shared just a little bit earlier, uh, especially dealing with the decline of, of a biblical worldview uh, among our kids, what do you think might be ways that we can contribute to, or, or ways that, that uh, this might be contributing to the decline from a, a parental point of view? Yeah, this is a really big question. Uh, this is something that I'm really, really passionate about and have been really seeking to understand for a really long time, really since I became a parent 16, 17 years ago, uh, 16 years ago. And it's, it's just one of those things that has really just haunted me in some ways. So there's just so many factors to consider. There's way too many. It's not just the home. It's not just the church. It's not just a single factor. But I really think that there are three observations that I have come to in all my research and my time studying this particular topic that I really would like to draw our attention to as a church. So the first is going to start with a story um, that goes way back to my college days, making me feel old, uh, over 20 years ago. Uh, there, I went to a Bible college here in Illinois, and my husband did as well, and there was a senior sermon that was given, a senior sermon was sort of a culminating project for preaching majors at our college. And it was a real, you know, treat to be able to hear their final project and their sermon. And many of these, you know, Tyson actually was one of these uh, seniors who gave a sermon and just really blessed us. But there was one sermon in particular where that just stuck with us, Nathan and I both. We, just, we talk about it all the time, even today. And this young man, he, what he did was he walked through our chapel and he said this phrase over and over and over. The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. He said the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. And he said it over and over to the point that we were like, we get it. This is really annoying. Um, <laughs> but it really stuck in a lot of ways. And what he, what he taught us in that sermon was the main thing is to love through in Scripture when we look through the Bible the main thing is love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, with all our strength, and to love our neighbor as ourself, as exemplified through the Gospels, through the life of Jesus. But when I look at my own life, and I look at the culture around me, and even when I look at within the church and at Christian families, I see how easy it is for us to forget what the main thing is. We forget. If we even knew from the start. If the main thing is to love the Lord our God with all our heart and soul and mind and strength, that would be the number one thing on our lips every day. That would be the easiest thing to, to pass down to our kids. But really in our culture today, it's very difficult to see what that is and how to translate it into our homes. So that's one observation. Number two, as Dee alluded to, a biblical worldview is no longer the majority worldview in our culture. It was 20 or 30 years ago but it is not today. And the secular worldview that we are living amongst, that's in our media, that's in our schools, it's in our neighborhoods, it's everywhere we look, it's infiltrated the church to the point that the lines are blurred for right and wrong. What is biblically right 
and what is biblically wrong has really become difficult for parents to discern because of the culture that we live in. And it's just an awareness point that we have to get to before we can move forward. And my third observation is what you said as well. You're right. Thanks. Parents are busier than they've ever been. Not only with activities and those sorts of things and work and distraction, the digital age has brought about a whole different busyness. Um, so that when we're in our homes, we're not together. We're separate. We're all on different screens. We're all consuming different things. And so our time together to be able to have spiritual connection and conversations about God are so much more limited than they were before we had smartphones in our pocket and a screen in every room. So those are three observations that I think have really, in the, our homes, contributed to the decline of our youth having a faith that lasts. Well, then what can, what can parents and grandparents and guardians do to change the power of those stats and the numbers of those stats? And, and, and how can the church, how can we walk alongside parents to partner with them in this? I think that there's great hope. I really do. Um, and so these statistics are not hopeful, but I think we know that Christ Church will not fall. Amen. We know that God is not surprised by these statistics. We know that he saw this coming. Um, but really it's going to come down to us being faithful to a remnant here who is going to continue to keep the main thing the main thing. Deuteronomy 6, verses 6, actually 5 through 9 says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on, bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. This is how parents were discipling their children in the biblical times, in the Old Testament. This, these were Jewish families. But this is exactly how we are still called to disciple our kids through the everyday rhythms of our lives. You know, a lot of us, everyone gets up in the morning at, at some point. Everyone eats at some point. Everyone goes to bed. Everyone drives in their car. These are the rhythms that we have in our life. How do we reclaim those rhythms for for our kids to have faith conversations. That's what we're looking at. So here's a statistic as well. The average church in America has about 40 hours a year to influence a child or a teenager. Now you might think that's faulty math because there's 52 Sundays in a year, but given you know sports schedules and sickness and family and vacations, it's about 40. Now here at FCC, we are high achievers. We have at least 100 that we offer to families um, between, you know, FCC kids, Wednesday nights, student ministries. So even if you bring your kid to every single thing that we offer here in a given year, we have about 100 hours to influence your kid. But families, parents, guardians, and grandparents, depending on how much time you have your child, you have 3,000 hours of influence every single year. Now, this doesn't mean that you're just talking to them about God 3,000 hours or doing any singular thing, but that's the amount of time that you have to influence your child. So we're looking at the statistics and we're saying, the church will not be able to single-handedly raise the next generation of faith. Maybe that happened back in the 70s and 80s, mm -hmm. 
and 90s maybe, but our culture has shifted so much away from a biblical worldview that it will not hold. So our job as a church is to come alongside of you. That is going to be the future of discipleship, is for the church to start the conversation, to go deep, to care and create amazing programming for our children and amazing discipleship, but then to equip and empower you as parents to continue that conversation at home. And grandparents too, you guys can do this as well. So I, it sounds really big, it sounds kind of overwhelming, but the reality is it's not. All it takes is every parent and every guardian and every grandparent being willing to take the next step. So I'm gonna share with you four steps that every parent, guardian, or step, uh, grandparent, step parent can take to increase your spiritual influence in your home. So the first step is just become aware. So here's the awareness point. Have a conversation at home today as a family. What is your main thing? Mm. What do you stand for? If your faith is, you know, when you go through and you make a whole list, if you realize that your faith is maybe five, six, seven on the list, what are things that you can do to move it up in the list, to make it a higher priority? I always encourage parents to write a mission statement or a, a, a value statement as a family. This is what we stand for. This is who we are. And to put it somewhere prominently in your home, maybe in your kitchen, maybe on your fridge, maybe on a doorpost or like a stair way that you all travel every day. So in awareness, we all just have to come to the point where what do we stand for and what is our main thing and just call it out. Now, if you're already to that point, you're like, all right, we've defined that, we know what we're about, we're consistent. Our second step would be just become involved. What we mean by this is become involved in, with a new spiritual practice, maybe one that you don't have right now. So if at home you don't regularly pray over your meals together and model that for your kids to thank God for what he gives us, that would be a starting point. Just add a prayer to your mealtime. If you maybe aren't reading a children's Bible at home, but you're reading fairy tales or watching a, a TV show before bed, maybe just add that to your rhythm. Add just one Bible story at night. Maybe this is one that can connect to what we do here at FCC Kids. We would love to see that. Um, you know, another thing might be that if you have a student in student ministries, Ben Harris sends an excellent parent email every month. If you're not getting them, talk to Ben today because it's excellent. It gives us talking points on how we can go deeper with our kids, uh, with our teenagers on the topics that he's already introducing and pouring into their lives. Um, you know, parent cue is something that we give to our kids and FCC kids. This is from ages three through fifth grade. This, you could just take one of those activities at home and just go a little bit deeper with your kids. So everyone can take this next step. We're, we're resourcing you really well here. If you're already aware and you're already involved, we would encourage you to take the next step to become engaged. So what this looks like is perhaps uh, taking the time, clearing your schedule in order to attend one of our faith path offerings that we have here if you're in, in your child's developmental phase. So that's one option. Another thing that you could do is um, grab a resource off of our monthly parent hub. Every month we're changing over the resources there to equip you and empower you as parents to continue the conversation, the faith conversation that we start on Sunday throughout the week. Another easy thing is you could just pick up, you know, a, a Christian author that you trust 
or a podcast host and just go deeper. I call this parental spiritual professional development. You know, we do professional development for our jobs, but we, you know, don't always take the time to go deeper and learn more about what it means to be a good parent or to be a spiritual parent. So th these are all steps that you could take in that phase. But our last one would be, if you're kind of already doing all of those three things, we'd love to see more of our families become invested. So invested basically is integrating faith into the daily rhythms of your life. Okay, this would be parents who have decided that they desire to keep the main thing the main thing. They're putting that stake in the ground and they're trying to filter all their decisions through a biblical lens and through keeping the main thing the main thing. Um, you know, this is not a strive for perfection. We're not asking parents to try to be perfect. We're just asking parents to be purposeful mm. and just take the next step. Mm -hmm. We know that this is something that will make a huge difference in the faith development of our kids, but we need to partner with you. Just as a church, we do not have enough influence. We don't have enough time with your kids to, to definitely make sure that in this secular culture, they're gonna have a faith that they understand every day how to live out. But there's hope because we can partner together and we're in it together. All right. Thank you, yeah. thank you. Before, you. before you go, just stay here with me, won't you? Heavenly Father, we lift up, um, we lift the, this, this part of our ministry at Greenville, Father, for, uh, for all of those who are either working on staff or who are volunteering in this area. Father, I thank you for them, for their time commitment. And Father, I pray that as they work diligently, as they share not only your word, but their lives as well, that that faith sharing will, will mean so much to our, our young people as they grow in faith. And Father, may our, our parents, grandparents, guardians, aunts, uncles, all those who are investing in the lives of their children, may that bear great fruit. Thank you, Father, for the opportunity we have to do so, to make a difference in the lives of our young people in the face of a, of a, of a hard culture. We thank you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Andrea. Appreciate it. I hope you were taking some notes from that and jotted down the things that she was talking about. There are wonderful things happening in our children's ministry, and uh, our people that work back there are doing a, a, an awesome job. Uh, before, we, before we go this morning, I, I would like to just share with you uh, three, three truths about growing young that we're trying to implement here at First Christian and that you need to know about as well. And the first thing is this, that growing a church young is multi-generational. Uh, there's all kinds of examples of this in Scripture, but there's one that really came to mind when I was working on this, and it's found in First, Second Timothy chapter 1. Paul is writing, and he's writing to Timothy, and he said, Timothy, I thank, I thank God for you. The God I serve with a clear conscience, just as my ancestors did. Night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers. I, I long to see you again, for I remember your tears as we parted. And I will be filled with joy when we're together again. I remember your genuine faith, for you share the faith that first filled your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And I know that same faith continues strong in you. This is why I... I remind you to fan into flames the spiritual gift God gave you when I laid my hands on you. For God has not given us a spirit of fear and cowardness and weakness and timidity, but one of power and love and, and self-discipline. 
Now, we only hear about Timothy's parents a couple of times in Scripture. The first time is in Acts chapter 16. There it tells us this is when Paul is introduced to Timothy. Uh, he finds out that Timothy has a great reputation uh, there in, in, in his hometown where he was growing up in Lystra. Uh, well thought of. Also find out that Timothy's dad is a Greek, but his mother is a Jew who also is a Christian as well as a believer. The second time we read about them is here in this text in 2 Timothy 1. We learn that Eunice is Timothy's mother. Lois is Timothy's grandmother. But what, what we also see is how powerfully uh, their faith affected son-grandson. We know that, that Paul's got this very special relationship with Timothy. He said, I look forward to seeing you again there in verse 4. But Paul said, I also remember that when we left, you were in tears. Why was he in tears? Well, it's been suggested that maybe Timothy was in tears because he was frustrated that the opponents he faced in the church of Ephesus seemed to be getting the upper hand, and he felt like he wasn't making any headway, kind of discouraged in his faith walk. Uh, and and this, this might have been why this was happening. So Paul encourages Timothy to remember. He said, do not forget the faith that first filled your grandmother Lois and your mother. That, that same faith continues in you, Timothy. It's, it's strong in you. And Paul is hoping that if you remember that faith that came from your parents and grandparents, that would restore your confidence. You would continue in faith. You would persevere in your ministry. A little bit later on in, in Timothy, Paul again encourages him by saying, you've been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood, and they've given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. I hope that you, uh, you walk uh, in the same steps that I do, having had parents, grandparents, other family members that encouraged you in your faith. Uh, my mom and dad, uh, Robert and uh, uh, Marjorie Arms, uh, they, uh, they were great parents. They weren't perfect, but they were great parents. And dad was a Sunday school teacher. Dad was an elder in our church. Even the last, uh, last few weeks of his life, he was preaching in some churches about, about the essence of time. And, and, and they poured into all of us kids, the five of us in the family, uh, the need for Christ. My mother-in-law uh, uh, mother and father-in-law, Clayton and Eleanor Kinsey, uh, aren't these great wedding pictures? Man, I looked like my dad, didn't I, later on that last one with all the hair that, that he had? Yeah, yeah. My father-in-law was an elder. He was a Sunday school teacher, a mom of Sunday school teacher. Uh, uh, even, even Dad Kinsey preached the last four years of his life uh, in a church down in Lake of Egypt. And they poured into their children, and even into me, the example of their love for Christ, their desire that we grow up in faith. The elders at, at Bethany Christian Church who laid hands on me in May 1978 when I was ordained in the ministry. I remember their, their confidence and their encouragement. My hometown preacher, Ben Bean, that Tyson and I both grew up under, uh, he would say things like, hey, D, it's a great life if you don't weaken, meaning the ministry. Well, that sounds really encouraging. Thanks, Ben. Uh, but he did. He encouraged us in our walk and our faith in ministry, and I, I appreciate that so much. And I, I hope that you've had people like that in your life as well that have walked along beside you and encouraged you in your faith. The power of influence, the example of multiple generations cannot be overstated. Right now in our youth group, Ben has home groups that are being mostly led by multi-generational leaders. Older people, younger people, they're involved in leading our junior high and high school home groups. It's, it's, that's, that's incredible. That's a marvelous thing. And the numbers of kids that are coming is just is something to praise God about. I just, I just love that. 
The writer to the Hebrews tells us, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a, a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let's strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that's so easily entangled, it, it, it trips us up, and let's run with, with endurance, with perseverance, the, the race that God has set before us. You can be a part of, of that uh, earthly crowd of witnesses Walking alongside our youth as a parent, as a grandparent, as a guardian, as an aunt and an uncle, a concerned member. Last week, Tyson said, if there's a young person, a young girl or a young guy within our junior high, high school youth group that you would like to partner with, connect with, pray for, encourage, give that name to Nathan or Tyson. If you're having trouble coming up with a name and don't know who to, who to, uh, to connect with, then you'll have an opportunity here a little bit later where names will be provided, and you can take one of those names and say, I will spiritually mentor this young person, sometimes from afar, sometimes up close, but I will take the opportunity to see that Christ is, uh, is heard in me and, and seen in me from this young person. Growing young is multi-generational, but it's also individual. Uh, it's a great thing we see a lot of people involved in the spiritual nurturing of our kids, but ultimately, just as Andrea said, it comes down to mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, maybe aunt and uncle, the guardian, the person in charge of this young person. Paul said, fathers, do not provoke. Don't exasperate your children to anger by the way that you treat them. Rather, bring them up in the discipline and the instruction that comes from the Lord. Moms, dads, do we provoke our kids to anger? And if we do, how do we do that? How does that happen? Sometimes it happens because we lay upon them these unrealistic expectations. We tend to live vicariously through our children. We want our son or daughter to grow up and do well in this and do well in that because I didn't do well in this and I didn't do well in that. And we want them to do well so we can kind of live through their victories. And other times we will have these unrealistic expectations of what we believe our kids can do and they can't. And we push them to limits that they should not have to be pushed to. Other times, there is heavy-handed, inappropriate discipline that takes place, and it provokes our kids to anger and rebellion. Deb and I were walking through Walmart a few weeks ago. We did not see, but we heard three or four rows over a dad yelling and cursing at his child. What future, what hope does that kid have of ever growing up feeling good about himself if that's the language that he hears, if he feels that his father is describing him and calling him out and, and, and belittling him this way? What hope is there in that child's life? Sometimes we give inconsistent examples to our kids. Don't do as I say, uh, or don't do as I do, do as I say. Yeah, that, that really works, doesn't it? It doesn't go very far. We need to help our kids by showing them Christ. They need to see Jesus in us. We need to guide them and encourage them in the faith with appropriate instruction. Paul did this. Man, you read through 2 Timothy sometime and listen to these verses. Timothy, my son, here are my instructions for you. These are based on the prophetic words spoken about you earlier. May they help you fight well in the Lord's battles. Cling to your faith in Christ and keep your conscience clear. Again, Paul said, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. Don't let anyone think less of you because of your age. Be an example to all the believers in what you say and in, in, what you, in the way that you live, in your love, your faith, and your purity. And again, Paul encouraged Timothy by saying, hold on to the pattern of wholesome teaching you learned from me, a pattern shaped by the faith and love that you have in Christ Jesus. At every turn, the apostle Paul poured into Timothy words of support, instruction, in, uh, encouragement, direction. He did that every chance that he had. During a communion service 
at a church in San Antonio, Texas. A small boy was asking daddy what the bread meant. And the father explained, and then he prayed. The boy was quiet until the cup was passed. What's that, daddy? And the father explained how the blood and and the cross and and the juice symbolized the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then he prayed again. That man was David Robinson. Maybe you've heard his name. NBA professional basketball player for the San Antonio Spurs. David Jr., age six, was sitting on his dad's lap. 24 hours earlier, David had led in the scoring in the playoff game against the Phoenix Suns. In 24 hours, David would be in, he would be in Phoenix doing that very same thing again. But sandwiched between these two national televised basketball games was David the dad, not the MVP, not the gold medal Olympic winner, but David the father, explaining communion to his son. Now let me ask you this, of these events, which mattered most, the basketball game or the communion service? Which of these will have eternal consequences? The points scored on the court that you would see on the screen or the message shared in the church? What would make the biggest impact, the biggest impression on this child's life? Watching his dad play basketball or listening to his father whisper a prayer in church? Tyson spoke last week of the faith that our children grow up with. It's called a biological faith. Our kids believe what we believe because we believe it. They believe that when they're young. But there comes a point when a biological faith must transition into an owned personal faith. And we must be there to help them make that transition so they can have a faith that is theirs, strong, meaningful, and purposeful. Growing young, last of all, is observational. In Mark chapter 10, this is a great story. It it says that one day some parents brought their kids to Jesus so he could touch and bless them. But the disciples scolded the parents for bothering him. And when Jesus saw what was happening, he was angry with his disciples. And he said to them, let the children come to me. Don't stop them. For the kingdom of God belongs to those who are like these children. I tell you the truth. Anyone who doesn't receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. Then he took the children in his arms and he placed his hands on their heads and he blessed them. Now Jesus wasn't often angry with his disciples, but we find three times in Scripture that he was, and here is one of those times. Why was he angry? I think he was angry because Jesus was aware of the sinful, the cruel, the the thoughtless, heartless world that, that children are born into. I believe he was angry because he knew that oftentimes loving children was a way to get to the heart of a parent. He was angry with the persistent dullness and the hardness of his disciples. He was also angry because the disciples presumed to be able to determine who should approach Jesus and who shouldn't. Jesus saw these picture, saw these children as a, as a picture of the humility and the, and the trust and the dependence that people need to have on Christ as we enter into the kingdom. You see, the great thing about kids is we can learn a lot from them. We can look at a child who's, who's coming up in Sunday school, and, and we, can just, we can marvel at their faith and what they accept, how there's no gray areas. I mean, things are black and white in the kid's eyes, and they believe or they don't. And we learn a lot from kids that way. A little Avery Cummings, John and Aaron Cummings' uh, little daughter, Tim and Diane Kelly's granddaughter, uh, she shows up in the office every day as she makes her way from preschool and, and uh, comes to grandma for a little bit. So she knows all of us in the office, and she kind of likes Nathan, but she loves me the best. 
So I'm, I'm holding her up one day, and, and, and Avery says to me, D, you're bald. I said, no, I'm not. I, I've got some hair. She said, you have no hair. I said, I've got hair right here, Avery, and right here. She said, no, you don't have any hair on your head. I said, yes, I do. If I don't shave it, there will be a little hair grow up there. She says, I don't see it. It doesn't exist. I'm not talking about a blind faith, but I'm talking about the, the kind of childlike faith that's untainted by the skepticism of a critical world. I know a lot of parents who have been brought to faith, brought to belief by the faith of their child, by that, that unquestioning faith in God. And it's a beautiful thing to see. Jesus knows the fears in your hearts as a parent and a grandparent. After all, our kids were his kids first, right? The Bible says, children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward from him. We kind of overlook that fact at times. We think that we have the final say-so in the health and the welfare of our kids, and that's just not the case. We don't. There are fears in parenting, and there are some fears that turn a parent into a paranoid prison guard. They monitor every minute of the child's life, and they do background <laughs> checks on their kids as friends, and, and, and they, they parent by helicopter. They hover over the child to make sure there's no harm that ever comes to their kid. The other extreme of that is that fear can also create a permissive parent. Man, you don't want your kid to feel fenced in or confined, so you lower the boundaries. You are high on hugs and low on discipline. How do you avoid the extreme between paranoid and permissive parenting? You do that by prayer. When a parent prays, Christ hears and he responds. Lamentations 2 reads, Pour out your heart like water before the face of the Lord. Lift your hands toward him for the life of your young child. Lift your hands before God. Pray for your kids. I want you to begin today to pray for your children. I want you to begin today to invest in them the most important thing, the most important reality, the most important activity that will ever be a part of their life, and that is their decision to receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. That's what I want you to be in prayer for today. This morning, there also may be the need for you to begin a life of faith yourself. And that would mean confessing Jesus Christ as Lord. If you have not been immersed into him, obeying that command as well. Maybe there are prayers that you need to be prayed. You have a, uh, you have a need in your family. You would like for somebody to pray with you. Please come and we'll be glad to do that. Would you stand as we sing this invitation hymn? Heavenly Father, as we understand the importance of prayer, as we understand the importance of parenting, and Father, our, our role, our obligation, Father, our work, I, I pray that you give us strength and insight and courage. It is a fearful thing to be a parent today, but it doesn't have to be. Father, when we trust in you and your word, when we utilize the work, the help, the presence of your Holy Spirit in us, when we boldly step into that arena of being a parent, Father, we know that you're there with us. We need not be afraid. So we pray for wisdom and we pray for strength. We pray for love and understanding. We pray for the wisdom that we need to have to do this well so that, Father, our children will grow up to know who you are, that they will love you, respect you, honor you, be obedient, but, Father, walk in a faith that brings great joy to their lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.